It's the sheep. All right, we're ready? We're ready to go. We're recording. <clears throat> we have completed two sections in our series, The Gathering Storm, based on the books that we read last year. Uh, in section one, I addressed the culture change that's going on that's separating us more and more from biblical categories um, and values related to issues of secularism, race, gender, sexuality, marriage, and family. In the second section, I address the five lies that we and our children are facing in relationship to those very categories and the cost of living by truth, which is suffering and how we would resist assimilation. The last two messages explain the need to teach the children the fear of the Lord and to train them in the way that they should go so that they would not depart from it. So today we begin the third and final section of the series of the transition uh, from the books we read last year to the books that we're reading presently, which is uh, The Coddling of America and iGen. Uh, the iGen will be of value to those of you who are parents of those who were born between uh, 1995 and 2012. So, uh, that's the generation that is somewhat different than the millennials uh, in, in terms of their thinking and what they're up against. Now, today what I want to do is begin by reading the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. An odd text to be using for this, but I think it'll make sense once I explain it. It said, The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and his feet was like those of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. <clears throat> the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of the heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast." They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? There was given him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. And authority to act for 42 months was given to him. He opened up his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. And it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Uh, <clears throat> and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. An odd text and not one that you uh, will hear preached about a great deal, although it will be alluded to quite a bit. Today I want to talk about totalitarianism. And faith in God. That's what I've titled the message. 
In this passage, we're given an understanding of the future of the world as we go to the close of the age. The Bible seems to indicate that over time, this history of this creation will move towards a centralization and a central figure who will, in a sense, have authority over all of the nations of the earth. A, a, what some people have called a one-world government. I'm not sure it's quite that simplistic. But this person will have authority over all the nations and the people groups, and he will be against God. His tabernacle, uh, the place of heaven where God is, and those who dwell in heaven, he will be opposed to. He will be opposed to the God of Israel. And in addition to that, he will make war with the saints. That's the people who follow God on earth. Those are described in the book of Revelation as those who obey God's commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. So, I think that the ultimate uh, direction of world history is towards this totalitarianism. Now, I don't believe we're there at this point. I know there are people who are claiming that. Uh, I don't even think we're that near to it at this point. Um, but I do believe that we're in a time when the pressures and the dynamics of that end time frame are pushing. There is this kind of ebb and flow that takes place in the world in that kind of framework. I think the Holocaust was in that direction. Certainly Nebuchadnezzar was in that direction. Ultimately the world is headed in that direction. And the author of the book, Live Not By Lies, that we've been reading, uh, he really believes that we're headed in that direction, though he describes it as soft totalitarianism. So I want to talk about that, but before I do that, I have to talk about totalitarianism as it's normally understood. It's a system in which a single government party controls all aspects of the culture. It monitors the people to make sure that there's no dissension and no disruption, and that's done by some kind of secret police uh, historically. I believe down the road it won't be that hard to monitor us because we're carrying the monitors with us uh, in our homes and, in our, and on our persons. Um, and you know that if you've ever said anything about anything and then the advertisements all show up on your phone immediately. I made an appointment for my car uh, and the car dealer has shown up on Facebook uh, about 20 times yesterday. So... And all I need them to do is add some software. I'm a little nervous about that, right? So, uh, we've seen that in the past, at least those of us who are my age. That was the system of the Soviet Union when it existed. We also see it in China today, and we see it in uh, North Korea. There are other examples of it, but this hard totalitarianism is a system where you really don't have freedom. The lives of the people are directed and controlled by the government and allegiance to the government and its narrative and view of reality is the price of participating in the, in the uh, culture. Resistance to that is punished by moderate and then severe methods. Uh, people are encouraged to monitor each other and privacy simply does not exist. There's no due process, and accusations are enough 
proof for you to be punished. So that's not likely to happen immediately or in some sense in Western culture. Though this soft totalitarianism is related, though it's not identical. Soft totalitarianism, well, regular totalitarianism depends on a government that's fully controlling all aspects of the culture, including its so-called elites in religion, in business, in education, in media, and all of those kinds of things. In order to function in the culture, you have to toe the line with what the government narrative is, and you cannot attempt any independence or freedom from that system. It's a top-down structure. The difference that's being described in that book that you're reading of soft totalitarianism is the idea that instead of the indoctrination coming from the government, sometimes our government can't get out of its own way. Um, that's the issue of democracy. It operates from the religion and the business and the media and the education and the financial system and then moves into the government and its bureaucracy from there. Uh, this is the form that many cultural observers are noticing in Western culture, uh, among them the author of that book. And the reason for this is that Western democracy has constitutions that are supposed to limit the government's control over the people. The government can do this, it can't do that. That's not a totalitarian system. It's a system where the people are the final authority and the government follows them. And that was the way our system was set up. It has certainly changed. We no longer have citizens who go to Washington or to Sacramento or to City Hall. We have professional politicians who go, who are part of the elite. And that is beginning to change the system. Uh, though we do have a constitution and we have a Bill of Rights that are there to set uh, limits on the government and to give the states and the people uh, a greater level of freedom. So soft totalitarianism has entered our culture, but not through the political system. It's now reaching the political system, but it came through media, finance, education, and all of these other systems through the idea of progressive thinking. Um, the money and the political clout that these agencies and interests have uh, have reached into the bureaucracies of the government uh, that the elites have ultimately taken control. So... The public narrative and the economic power is actually controlling the government more than the government is controlling them. And the danger now is that we think our problem is political and the Republicans and the Democrats. But the elites exist in both the parties and they often do a pretty good job of fighting so that we're dazzled by watching it. But it's just as fake as the World Wrestling Federation. That's not where the issue is going on. It's going on by the elites in education, in finance, in media, in sports, entertainment, and in business, particularly high-tech business, as I said before. They own the politics, 
and the and they influence the populace with the curriculums that they push and the news programmings that the media gives us. And behind them, the agencies, more than the government, the government bureaucratic system is having an enormous amount of control on us. I've seen that particularly strong in the family court system, which is so independent of the democracy that we live in as to almost be a different country. They're creating tighter and tighter controls on people's everyday life. Many Jews and Christians falsely believe that the problem is political and that political action can fix it. But I think we've seen in the COVID crisis and in this recent situation in Canada with the truck drivers that the elites in media, education, business, and even religion are beginning to present a united front. And that united front is to uh, make us dependent on them. Now, I believe that uh, we may be able to curb the trend towards totalitarianism in America, or even slow it. But I don't think we're going to be able to eliminate it. We're not going to completely reverse it. We may in a few areas, as there is pushback. But uh, I think the direction is set, and the extent of the elite's control and influence is unlikely to be held at bay for very long. And the direction is set towards what biblical prophecy says in Revelation 13, that at some point in the future, we are going to see the world thinking more globally and needing a unified system and a unified standard by which uh, we'll be able to survive and control the, the, the world. And that will be one that is hostile to our faith and to our God. American Judaism and Christianity, for the most part, has thrived in America because of the Constitution limiting government and the Bill of Rights assuring freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and due process. But we've seen those freedoms challenged and significantly curtailed over an issue that I think we need to talk about. And I'll be talking about it throughout this section. And that is this insatiable need among Americans for safety. Safety and security is the, is the sugar stick that we're being offered and the stick will follow if we don't swallow that sugar stick. Health safety... Economic safety have been the gods of the new ideology that's sweeping the nation and Western culture itself. The government has pushed the idea, along with education and media and entertainment and sports and other elites, that we have to seek safety only from a centralized federal government system because they're the only ones that can provide it. You can't do it yourself. It has to be provided. And therefore, there's a push for standardization, for equity and for sameness in health care, employment, taxation, and so-called entitlements. The government told us it was not safe for us to work, so they provided us with income. Not that they have money. They told us that our democracy is being threatened, but they're going to assure our rights to vote. 
But there are cities that are letting non-citizens vote. We're moving in that direction. They control our schools, and we have to trust the specialists to create the curriculum. Parents should not interfere in that. That approach is not the American history. But it looks very much like the American future. And like I said, there's pushback. The Canadian truckers, there have been school recalls. I couldn't believe that happened in San Francisco. Uh, there's been demonstrations. And there's even been resistance to cancel culture where some people have survived that. But we need to see beyond this because Revelation 13.10 says that the power for this ultimately comes from the dragon, which the Bible uh, identifies as Satan. We're called to an endurance of faith in the midst of this, even though it may go in that direction. And like I said, I don't think we're at the edge of the Revelation 13, but we're seeing a, a push in that direction, and the children that have been born and are going through the school systems now are being prepared particularly to think of their safety first. Their emotional safety, their mental safety, they are becoming very, very um, non-risk taking. That creates compliance. And that compliance reduces critical thinking. So, one more passage. I know we have a business meeting, so I'm trying to finish it up. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning at verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. I just want to say to you that if you pay much attention at all to the biblical narrative, you will see that whenever you have the elites on earth, the elites on earth, for the most part, are empowered by the dark forces that, that Paul's talking about here. Um, the world's, remember when Jesus was tempted, Satan said, showed him all the nations and said, these are mine, and I can give them to whomever I want. When Daniel was being told that his prayer had been answered, the, uh, Gabriel said he is held back by the prince of Persia for three weeks, and the prince of Greece was coming after him. And the only one who helped him was the prince of your people, Israel. The principalities behind in the spiritual realm are in the satanic world. He's the God of this world. We have to be very much aware of that. Now, we're not in the war. We're in the wrestling match. We wrestle against these things. We don't, we're, this is not onward Christian soldiers time. Our job will be to stand firm and try to hold ground in that framework. So he says, Therefore, 
Take up the full armor of God, verse 13, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. Okay, this is not about an, an assault. We're not going forward. We're holding on when the storm that's gathering comes against us. Stand firm, therefore, girding your loins with truth, having put the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all of that, take up the shield of faith, by which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And Paul also asked for prayer for himself. The real battle is the spiritual one. And our posture is defensive and not offensive. Standing firm. Gird with truth. The scriptures. Knowing the word of God. We have to know the word of God. We're not going to have time to look it up. We have to start internalizing God's word. I've been saying this for ages. But the, the heat is turning up. Knowing and doing the word. That's why it's critical that your children know and are doing the word. The breastplate of righteousness. There is an obedience to God where we walk in his ways as light. But also because when we are walking in righteousness, we are less likely. We're still going to be falsely accused, but we're less likely. We're not to suffer as evildoers. We're to suffer for righteousness sake by doing the right thing. Shoes shod with the gospel of peace. That gospel is not a thing that's going to change the world. It's a call out of the world to be at peace with God and one another while we wait for the Prince of Peace to return and be part of the kingdom that he is going to establish. In the meantime, we're going to be shot at. Not by Cupid. I wish it was Cupid, you know. Then we could just say, stupid Cupid, stop picking on me. I love that song, right? So, just, just a little side thing, right? The shield of faith. Faith is trusting God. Trusting God when all the situation says God is not there. Trusting God when the whole circumstance feels like he's abandoned us. Read that chapter in Hebrews. By faith they did that. They didn't do these things. They just followed what God told them and trusted that God would do what he said he would do. Fearing God and not those who can kill the body, but after that can do nothing else. God can destroy both body and soul in Hades, right? In hell, in Gehenna. So, the shield of faith so that we can stand against Satan's lies and the trials that will surely come. The helmet of salvation, we must maintain a biblical worldview and think in biblical categories. The world is changing every word to mean something different. And we have to know what the biblical text is saying about gender, about nations, about sexuality, about marriage, and about parenting. Those things are critical. They're at the heart of the commandments of God for his people to live by. 
And we have a generation that thinks almost every one of those has multiple options and doesn't have to be followed. And then the sword of the Spirit. Living by the Word is how we fend off the culture. You can't fend off the culture if you're not actively engaged in a lifestyle that is based on truth. You have to live in truth to avoid falseness. Otherwise, the falseness will simply surround you and make you think that it's truth. And then there's a piece here that I think is critical. We have got to be in prayer for one another. We have to be in prayer for those who are struggling. Uh, uh, you guys all know uh, Rabbi Shipman, and the I'm I'm on his board, and and they have the soup kitchens in Ukraine. That is a dangerous place right now. They're in desperate need of prayer. Um, we need to be globally minded in our prayer concerns. We need to know what's going on around the world among Jews and Christians and be in prayer and intercede on behalf of them before the Lord. And each other, when we see each other going through trials. Not judge each other, but pray for each other. Hold each other up in that framework. As was said earlier, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's, that's a commandment, you shall love one another as I have loved you. That's one we don't even approximate. We really need to work on that. Now, it's, it's unlikely that this will ebb and stop. It's going to ebb and flow. But the direction is clear. And we must prepare ourselves and our children to resist accepting the lies and then prepare ourselves to endure the suffering. That will not happen with a generation that thinks safety is their first priority. That thinks security is their first priority. So we are going to have to break the cultural mold that's being done to the children that I'm, that I'm talking about from 95 to the present, really. That means a tough faith a sure faith and a steadfast, steadfast faith. Not just, well, I believe in Jesus. That's not going to cut it. Okay? There was a time when that, was, that, would, that worked pretty good. Won't, won't work any longer. The children are being conformed to safety and compliance. And much that is coming is also coming from the parents. Because many parents think that their job is to keep their kids safe and secure while the world educates them. We outsource all much of this stuff and that's where they're getting it. But we're making it worse by making them vulnerable. We're going to have to toughen them up. I don't mean abuse. I mean toughen them up. They have to be able to endure. They have to be able to hold. They have to be able to stand. And they're going to need the armor of God. And if we're not wearing it, they're not going to wear it. So, in the next messages, uh, we're going to be Addressing the coddling of the children and the common traits of the iGen, that generation from 95, 1995 to 2012, probably a little past that, that were raised by millennials who had a very different worldview than the boomers that raised them, right? There's, there's, there's a generational confusion and gap that's getting wider and wider as we follow a rapidly changing culture. That generation has to be prepared for spiritual difficulty and the possibility of functioning 
as an underground church. And an underground church is a relational church that knows who they can trust and I can identify the remnant. And we have to get back to working on that because the public part is a blessing, but it's not assured. And so the day may come when all we have is our homes. All we have is knowing who our fellow believers are to reinforce them and to pray for them. It may not come, but we need to be prepared, the old Boy Scouts model, so that we're ready for that. So, I'm going to talk about that in the next subjects, but I wanted to get done in pretty good time today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.